Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Alice Swetman and is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin. There are a ton of details of upcoming events and additional announcements. Please join us for refreshments in Fellowship Hall at the end of worship. We will begin our service with the prelude. Look to your families. What do you see? Look to your families. What do you see? Look! What do you see? Come, now, with all the complexities of human relationships to this place of grace. Let us worship God.
please pray with me, friends. Rescuing God, we worship you and we praise you for the wondrous truth of your presence with us in Christ Jesus. Scripture reminds us that our risen Lord accompanies us through all our struggles and trials and victories. Please help us to sense your presence this morning as we gather surrounded by hard plaster and stained glass. May we hear your message as scripture is read and light refracts through these windows. May your Holy Spirit nudge us to recall your faithful promises and to keep our eyes on Jesus, that bright morning star who brings hope to the world. Amen. Well, we have been people who are dissension-spirited and sometimes jealous, as our call to worship suggests. And so corporately, we confess our sin to Almighty God using these printed words. Ever-present God, God, when when skies skies are sunny sunny and all is bright, we have have a tendency tendency to forget you as the source of all blessing. blessing. Then Then when when it is dark and cloudy, and we are unable to see the moon and the stars, and nothing we can do to stem the darkness, we quickly cry out for help. We confess how frightened we can become. Forgive us for failing to remember that you are with us in Christ Jesus, able to bring hope in the midst of darkness, able to light our way. Only in retrospect do we see that you bring us to the end of faith in ourselves that we might come to deeper faith in you. Only in retrospect do we come to thank you for the difficulties that test our dependence on your grace. How we need forgiveness and wisdom, patience and trust. Forgive us for trusting more in the darkness than in your light. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Jesus lights the darkness of sorrowful hearts and gifts us with the assurance of God's forgiveness. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Praise be to our risen Christ. seated. Joseph was his father's favorite out of all his family there, and his brothers did not like it when he got his coat to wear. It was different from the others, brighter, bolder than the rest. So he bragged to all his brothers that his father loved him best. Joseph's nights were filled with dreaming in his mind He'd always win. In his dreams, eleven stars and sheaves of wheat would bow to him. Angered brothers would not bow and sold him then to be a slave to a land where no one knew him. He was taken 
who could save. Genesis 37. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Billa and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his, their father. In other words, he's being a tattletale, right? Now, Israel, which is another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a long robe with many sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I've dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and then your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed going to reign over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream, and he told it to his brother, saying, Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now before I call the kids to come on up and join me up here, I, I thought... I was really setting some pictures up for, um, for Dan Trina, who's going to be talking a little bit about the mission trip to Jazzy. And um, so, anyway, as I was doing that, I, I put these in here. So let me show these to you so that you know what in the world it was you were looking at. This is Harbison Chapel. And um, I was there yesterday um, with, actually, with Martha... Uh, we had gone to the chapel um, because uh, we were there for homecoming at Grove City College. And uh, she marched in the parade. I took pictures on the side. That's Harvison Chapel. Now, during our time as students there, they took attendance at chapel. I thought about doing that here, but I... <laughs> And uh, so we got a better look at how things were at Harbison, and I had some wonderful memories. The first one was of this portrait of uh, Sam Harbison. As you walk into the chapel, there was uh, this portrait of Sam Harbison. And a few fraternity brothers and I thought it would look good in our fraternity floor. And, and so we kind of removed uh, Sam Harbison from the chapel, which isn't easy because Sam weighs a couple hundred pounds. 
And he hung wonderfully for several weeks at our fraternity house. And then there was this announcement made on one of the required chapels. If Sam Harbison is not returned by noon tomorrow, there will be no meal served this weekend. So under the cover of darkness, we return Sam Harbison. <laughs> but uh, in addition, the chapel's gorgeous on the inside. This is one of the stained glass windows. And uh, it's pretty on the outside, too. That's kind of what it looks like on the inside. It's a long, very gothic nave. It's crucifiform, form, so it's built in the shape of a cross. Uh, one of the parts that may be of interest to you, the right-hand side, the right transept, which you don't see in the picture, uh, was a gift to the college from the mission funds of the Presbyterian Church USA. And the transept on the left was given by the Pugh family in honor of Edith Pugh. What I thought was fascinating that I really wasn't quite so aware of was the sign that I found outside the chapel, which reads, Construction of Harbison Chapel was completed during the Great Depression. The Harbison brothers sold their homes in order to play for the completion of construction. The two brothers, who had been kind of a little bit at each other, sold their own homes and made peace with each other to build this as a memorial to their dad. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, hopefully we'll be able to get to the other pictures here, Dan. And, and I don't know how that'll work. But anyway, that's what that, why that was up. Uh, okay, I'm going to call kids up to the front. Come on up. And it's okay, you can be in front of the screen, that's not a problem. Yesterday, I got our first Christmas ornament for this year. Yeah, for our house. And it's a star ornament. It's pretty nice, don't you think? Yeah, this is made by Wendell August Forge. And the reason uh, I'm showing it to you is because um, I'm assuming, but I don't know for sure, that most of you have stars of some kind as a Christmas ornament at your home. So what I would think would be wonderful is we've been looking at stars all of September, and we will also all of October, is if you could find a star that you would put and hang somewhere on your Christmas tree, and we're going to have a wall with some pins, and if you could bring one of your favorite star, then that would be kind of cool, and we could hang them up. And we'll have a little piece of paper so you can write your family's name and stick the pin through that, and then something that holds the star there. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to see everybody's stars? Do you think they'll all look the same? They'll all be different. Let me see if I have some more stars back here. I did for a while, but I, I may have lost them. Yeah, I guess we did. Hey, there was a story in the Bible today, too, about stars, right? How many stars did Joseph see? Remember? In his dream? He saw 11. 
There were 12 brothers, and he saw 11 stars. And what did the stars do in his dream? They all bowed down to him. Do you think that the brothers liked this dream? No, I don't think they liked the dream either. Yeah, so you can't share kind of dreams like that too much. But when we talk about stars here, these are stars that will remind us of the great star of Jesus, particularly as we celebrate his birthday. But that'll be a little later. So if you would all bring a star over the next couple weeks, we'll hang them up. There'll be a wall between here and Fellowship Hall, and that'll be wonderful to see. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day and for the opportunity to be your stars. Bless us, Lord, that we might be a blessing to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a great time in Sunday school. So while we get that set up, our church went down to Jamaica this year. Uh, 34 of us went, 30 members of our church, and actually three people from St. John Fisher and some guests went. And this is the ninth year that Jazzy, Jamaican Advantage Sports for Youth, took place. A member of our church, Kurt Herge, started it nine years ago, and we've gone every other year. So this is the fifth year that First Presbyterian Church has gone. Um, On the off years, St. John Fisher goes. So Jazzy was started because um, Kurt lived there when he was a child in Jamaica, and he became friends with um, a Catholic priest who runs St. Patrick's Foundation. St. Patrick's Foundation now has six schools there, and the children in these schools, they select 150 of them. And the 150 kids that they show up to school, they pay attention, they're obedient, they get good grades, get rewarded with a week of sports camp. Now one of the cool things about Jazzy is not only do we affect 150 kids that get to go to camp, we also affect 2,000 students because they all want to go. So all year, they're striving to be better students. So by us doing this camp for a week, we're not affecting just 150 kids. We're affecting 2,000 kids all year. Another thing that happens is the Jamaican volunteers. The volunteers are college kids that get to work with us. And um, let's go ahead one more then. I'll talk a little bit about a couple pictures. We During camp, we actually run four different events. We run football or soccer, and there's a couple children with special needs that are there, which is just fantastic. Go ahead, next one. We um, also do the normal swimming, arts and crafts, and sports. Um, When we arrive, the first thing we do is we get to tour Riverton, and this was us getting our, uh, one of the schools that St. Patrick's Foundation runs. So this is our getting our gear and getting started. Um, Riverton is actually a community that is built between a garbage dump in an industrial dump. And it's a shanty town where about 10,000 people live in squalor. I mean, you know, dirt, no um, dirt floors, no water running, uh, electricity, none of that. And these people that live there make their living by garbage picking. So we go there and we get to see the place and see how these kids live. And then the next day they show up at camp and you wouldn't believe that they were from there. They're so happy, they're so blessed, and yet if, if we didn't know where they lived, it wouldn't have such an impact on our kids from Pittsburgh. 
we realize how blessed we are. This is walking through Riverton. So these are some of the houses and some of the uh, streets that they live in. And again, it's such an impactful thing to our kids to spend a day there. Um, and then this is arts and crafts, where we teach the kid. One of the neat things is you have these 15-year-old macho boys, and here they are doing beads and, and drawing with crayons, and it's just so, uh, so much fun. Um, each child is provided a bag with a swimsuit, uh, soccer gear, uh, a backpack, a towel, a uh, water bottle. So that's us getting the gear together the first day at the college. Um, and then one of the other impacts of Jazzy that I think is really neat is that the kindergartners, they're not old enough for camp, but we go to their graduation, and then we take them to the zoo for a day. So we get the day before we start camp with the young kids so they know about the camp, and hopefully when they get older, they'll be able to uh, participate in the real camp. Uh, we also then got generous donations from people here. So each child that graduated from kindergarten was given a Wegmans bag filled with food. Uh, they were given some clothing and some other gifts through to your generous support of the church. This is um, Caribbean Games, where uh, Mr. Thompson, Tom runs uh, um, different games for the kids and learn team building, and uh, we have a theme each day, but this was the team building day inside camp. And then, um, of course, arts and crafts. Louise working with uh, one of our special students. Um, all the kids at the end are rewarded with um, uh, a medal and uh, um, made to feel really special. That's our blue team. They were very, um, they got together as a team uh, very well. And then swimming. Most of these kids have never swum before. And so for get them in a pool and actually give them lessons, um, I found out that 94% of the people under 20 in Jamaica are born out of wedlock. 94%. So there's not a lot of male role models. So these kids tend to gravitate. They want direction. They want somebody to, 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 to give them some structure and order and no better place than the pool. And then that's our closing ceremonies where everyone gets a medal. Um, my last little story is going to be the first day, you can go through till we get to it, I get out on the soccer pitch where I'm teaching soccer, and I know there's Olympic athletes that work there, and they share the field with us. Well, they're not supposed to be there after nine. So the first thing I do, there's one Olympic athlete still there. Well, which one is it? It's the javelin thrower. And I'm like, dude, you, got, you can't be here. You need to be gone because, uh, you know, you know, get one of my kids. So he goes, just let me stay over there for 15 minutes. So we did. So we start doing soccer, and we're doing our stretches. And the next thing we do, we're on the side. Of, there's a mountain there. A guy starts parasailing down. And the javelin thrower's throwing the javelin at this parasailer. <laughs> and he lands right on the soccer field. So we got a kick out of that. So um, I'm gonna, one of the things that we did was, um, through to your generous support, we produced a Shutterfly book with pictures of our trip. So this will be in the library if anyone would like to see it. And Dee Dee Holmes, who's been on the trip um, probably many times is going to give a little talk about her experience at Jazzy. So thank you for your generous support, and we'll be going in two years, summer of 2017. So, thanks, Dee. Hi, I just want to share a few of my experiences, too, and I will be brief. But, um, you know, when I was in 2006, I was finishing up a graduate degree, and the last course I took was a classroom management, and the last thing we had to do was write a list of goals and put it in an envelope and give it to our teacher. And my top goal, my biggest reach, was to go on a trip to Africa. 
I was lucky in 2006 to join the team that went to Mozambique. I went with Bruce. I went with Kurt Herge. I didn't know Kurt very well. Heck, I didn't know Bruce very well. And I have formed some of my strongest church relationships by leaving this country. And that's kind of a sad statement, but it's also the nature of our lives. But the beauty of that is I got to be part of Kurt's initial dream. Kurt had this dream because he saw the children come to our site every single day. And he said, you know, there's children like that all over the world. And there's children in Jamaica. I want to help them more than just give them some money. So we are so used to building a structure, which is a wonderful thing, and I love that, being a daughter of an architect and a builder. But to be part of another sort of team building is really a unique opportunity, and it's harder to quantify. You can see pictures here. But because I was on the onset year in 2007 and I've gone four of the five years, I can honestly see the growth. I can see the build, building of relationships. The relationships not just between me and the the kids, which I love going on mission trips with our kids that I've had in choir. There is nothing like that. And it just brings me so much joy to just strengthen those ties. But I've always been nervous about the off year. What happens? Are we going to keep it going? Are they doing as good of a job as I think we do? My answer this year came to me by meeting some of our St. John Fisher folk. They are amazing. And they're taking these ties and these threads of relationships even farther. They are taking it to individual colleges down there. They are working with uh, teachers and students. They want to set up relationships, so they're going to bring Jamaican teachers up here. We're going to maybe send some of our student teachers down there. The way this has grown from a dream into this incredible fabric of a reality that is just gives the Jamaicans hope, it gives us hope, and it's such an active and viable mission of our church that I can't thank you enough for supporting us. And look at the pictures, look at the book, see the smiles on those faces. There's nothing like our closing ceremony and getting a hug for one of our kids. You know, we are in relationship with great people down there. We work with Grace Jackson, who was an Olympian, and she won the silver in 88. And this year, we are in a newer venue to us. There were no tables. It's Things go on Jamaican time, just like they go on African time. You know, you don't know if things are going to show up. We had no tables for crafts, so we were scrambling. We're going to do everything on the floor, harder for older bones. But <laughs> Grace Jackson shows up, says, what? You don't have tables? Within 15 minutes, she had tables brought over from her college because <laughs> we were at a new site. But we have built those relationships. We are known. We are on the ground there, and it's such a viable presence. And like I said, it is just such a wonderful experience for us, and we are really bringing hope and life to our folks that we're connected with down there. Thank you so much for your support.
Bought in Egypt, Joseph labored for a man named Potiphar. In that house, he soon was favored once again, a rising star. What went wrong? That star was falling, falsely charged and locked up tight. In his dreams, he heard a calling in the middle of the night. Joseph, dreamer, there in prison, saw a famine on the way. So his wondrous gift of vision set him free and saved the day. When his brothers came in hunger, begging, help us, give us food, Joseph told them, weep no longer. God intended this for good. Soon the family reunited, so began new joyful days. And through Joseph were reminded God can work in wondrous ways. God, we trust your star to guide us when we cannot see your plans. Always now your Christ is with us. All of life is in your hands. Our Old Testament lesson today is taken from 2 Kings chapter 23. This follows on the heels of the united monarchy, David and Solomon, are long ago in heaven. And Judah and Israel have split the northern and southern kingdom. And so we've had a series of different kings leading those different kingdoms. We finally have one who is good. And he has found the book of the law. And we pick up where he has found the book of the law and is sharing it with the people. I invite you to hear God's illuminating word to each one of us. Then the king, that is good King Josiah, directed that all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem should be gathered to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him went all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. All the people joined in the covenant. The king commanded the high priest Hilkiah, the priests of the second order, and the guardians of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He disposed the, he deposed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who made offerings to Baal, to the sun, the moon, the constellations, and all the hosts of the heavens. He brought out the image of Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the Wadi Kidron, burned it at the Wadi Kidron, beat it to dust, and threw the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. He broke down the houses of the male temple prostitutes that were in the house of the Lord where the women did weaving for Asherah. He brought all the priests out of the towns of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings. From Geba to Beersheba, he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on the left of the gate of the city. The priests of the high places, however, did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but ate unleavened bread amongst their kindred. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
For the joy of human love, and boy, it's not always that wonderful. I read this in a blog. I was in my wills and trust course when the professor posed this question to the students. Why do people choose to have their children rather than their siblings inherit the estate? After students offered various theories, one future attorney raised his hand, saying, This may be a bit off the point, but when I was little and my brother and sister finished playing with me, they didn't like it and they put me in a drawer. (laughs) Siblings can treat each other that way. It can happen in families. This is a week when the family here at the church has been together a lot, working on the penny pincher sale. Do you have a report for us, Joyce, on how things went? Good? Yeah. Well, we had another successful year, $5,142. I want to thank all the workers. Would they please stand that are here today? The workers. Thank you. And I want to thank all that donated. Someday we're going to run out of that good stuff. And I also want to thank you folks who came back and bought. And I want to thank John, our custodian. He... You can't do it without John. I want to tell you something. I have always loved my job as chairman of the Penny Pincher Sale. This year was my last year. I've been chairman of the sale for 19 years, and it's time for me to set it aside. Thank you, Joyce. That means a lot of mission gets supported, doesn't it? It does. Martha and I had an interesting evening last night. We we drove home from homecoming back to Pittsburgh. It was a glorious day. There were lots of handshakes and hugs all around the student union, and people hadn't seen each other for a long time were reunited through their memories. Uh, there were a lot of people checking each other out and seeing how they shaped up after 45 years. <laughs> there was a parade complete with floats and bands and alumni honorees, and there was a glorious luncheon on the quad with class pictures and Even though the weather and the scenery was spectacular, things did not go well for the gridiron. They lost to St. Vincent. Eventually, it came time for us to head back to Pittsburgh. It's a luxury, but we have a serious radio in our little car. It seems so well-suited for evenings like last night. Actually, it's been intriguing to see all the incredible free advertising that Pope Francis has provided for a Chrysler Fiat (laughs) as he has been chauffeured around in that little car of his. 
And I probably wondered, like some of you, would my humility rating be improved if I traded in my little Hyundai for a Fiat? Well, we shifted between CNN and Fox News, both of whom carried the Festival of Families event in Philly. There was a star-studded lineup of musicians and presenters, but there were also families who would come from all over the world to tell their story. Calling families a factory of hope, Francis seemed to intuit that some would say, Father, you speak like that because you are not married. And the crowd chuckled a little, and the pontiff added, Families have difficulty. In families, we quarrel. Sometimes plates fly. I thought that was an unusual translation from the Spanish. I began to wonder if he had just read about the story in Genesis. And then the Pope added, In families, there's always light. And he offered advice to families who, from time to time, fight but should never end the day without making peace. And that was good advice. And then this morning I opened up the paper. Here are the headlines. Doctor faces prison time for trading drugs for sex. New clashes at Jerusalem Holy Site. Egypt's president, country in ferocious war. Iraq, Iran, and Russia team up. Number of deaths at the Hajj stampede exceed 800. GOP power ranks show shift. Mexicans mark one year since 43 students disappeared. It's much better to drive across the thruway listening to families tell of their struggles and their dreams for a better future. But rather than focus on the positive and hopeful news and approaches, we seem to be the kind of people who stew in the negative stuff that swirls around us, like candidates that choose to find ways to tell us everything that is wrong with our country but really don't offer any positive, strengthening solutions. If you like the focus of the negative approach, then I think that author Julie Norum is for you. She wrote a counterintuitive book entitled The Positive Power of Negative Thinking. And in that book, she says, there are some folks that the only thing that can bring a sense of calm is to directly contemplate negative outcomes. This deliberate, structured focus on dark contingencies is called defensive pessimism. Now, she's reduced this to several steps, and um, with some rehearsal, you can just imagine for a moment that you are being asked to preach a sermon on Sunday, something that produces anxiety in most people, including clergy. The positive power of negative thinking then encourages you to do several of these things. First, to Approach the anxiety-producing task with lowering expectations. You are certain that the message will go badly. You commit yourself to the idea that your sermon will be an absolute disaster. It will not change any hearts and will put some people to sleep. Secondly, you imagine all the detailed ways Sunday worship will go awry. You picture yourself losing your notes, tripping in the front stairs, uh, on the way to the pulpit, being heckled by people at church. 
And then you map out ways and strategies to combat the catastrophe. You make an extra set of notes. You wear comfortable shoes so that you can feel where the steps are. You have uh, some sense that you can make things better. But this defensive pessimism routine, she writes, will probably produce more anxiety, not less. I mean, we can only imagine what would have gone through the mind of Joseph before he started sharing his dreams, especially about the sheaves and the 11 stars. Let me catch this picture. It's breakfast time in Jacob's tent. Leah is there with her sons, Reuben, Simeon, uh, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. They're all seated in their customary places. Then come in Jacob's four sons by concubines. They have arrived. So has little Benjamin, who makes Jacob think of Rachel, the true love of his life. The blessing is offered. The milk is passed. The bread is served. Then, like a star whose time has come, Jacob appears on the stage. He steps in, takes the seat next to Jacob, his dad, and all of his half-brothers roll their eyes. Joseph wastes no time in breaking the silence. Hey, had a dream last night. We were binding sheaves of grain when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright and all of your sheaves bowed down to mine. Reuben probably choked on his oats. And the very next day's breakfast repeats the scene a second time. Only on this morning, Joseph says, I dreamed the sun and the moon and 11 stars were all bowing down to me. This was even more than Jacob, his dad, could stand. He rebukes Joseph for such fantastic, arrogant dreams. Dreams have sometimes been called the windows to the soul since they reveal so much about us, sometimes even more than we ourselves tend to know. Earlier this year, I cautioned us, and especially some of our young graduates, to be careful about pursuing their dreams. I suggested that we might be wiser to go after our questions and our curiosity. Why? Because sometimes our dreams really aren't our dreams. They are our want list. And we can go after them in such a way that we ignore all of the possibilities that God might have in store. And we kind of left things there. But if our dreams really happen to be from God, they might determine our destinies more than we could ever imagine. Don't count all visionaries out. Actually, we might be better served to call them romantics or idealists, for that is the nature of so many of their dreams. Henry Ford had a dream of a horseless carriage. He wanted to put that into the hands of a thousand folks. He built his first car in a shed behind his house. In 1903, he formed the Ford Motor Company and produced the Model T, that year, his company made 6,000 cars. Eight years later, they were producing 500,000 cars a year. 
I don't know if the dream was from God or not, but it was certainly a very profound idea, wasn't it? There's the dream of Martin Luther King, that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners would be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood, that one day God's children would live in a nation where they would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And that was a dream that would not sift through to reality unless it is a dream that is shared. We wonder where our personal dreams will go. Where are the dreamers? William Sloan Coffin said, if we do not look for something above us, we will certainly sink to something below us. I prefer the great, great philosopher, uh, Yogi Berra, who once said, if you don't know where you're going, you might wind up someplace else. (laughs) We don't treat dreamers very well, never have, probably never will. We've learned in verse 5 that Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they just hated him more. They hated him so much that they threw him into a cistern, sold him to Midianite merchants for 20 shekels of silver. They covered up the crime by concocting a lie to tell their dad. Martin Luther and King in his sermon, Shattered Dreams, said one of the most agonizing problems within our human experience is that few, if any, of us see our fondest dreams fulfilled. The hopes of our childhood, the promises of our mature years are really unfinished symphonies. We don't treat dreamers well. Romantics, idealists, though they might accept some finite disappointment but never lose the infinite focus When George Friedrich Handel became paralyzed on his right side, he also got himself so deeply into debt that his creditors wanted to throw him into prison. It was at that point that Handel wrote The Messiah. And who can forget those triumphant words of the Hallelujah Chorus? Dreaming idealists are the people who discover strength even in the midst of their weakness. That's what Apostle Paul says. Joseph was 30 years old. He was appointed governor of Egypt and put in charge of the Department of Agriculture. A famine struck the land seven years later. Joseph managed a national and international food distribution program that literally saved the world from starvation. When Jacob, his dad, heard there was food in Egypt, he said to his ten sons, Why are you sitting around here looking at each other, bemoaning this situation? Why don't you go to Egypt, get us some food so we can live and not die? Chapter 42, verse 6 says, And when Joseph's brothers arrived in Egypt, they bowed down to Joseph with their faces to the ground like stars. 
Oh, don't get me wrong. I have had plenty of dreams that died at dawn because they were dreams of my own. I have wandered away from God's purpose and path and only by grace come home. But I have had sufficient experience to know that I have spent most of my life in the presence of a visionary God and in communion with an idealistic Lord who has a vision of a world rooted in love rather than clout, rooted in peace rather than tumult, rooted in hope rather than despair. Having shuffled along this far with a visionary God, it seems prudent to follow God all the way home. And the world will be better for this. That one man, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. Please join me in prayer. Joseph was his brother's favorite out of all his family there. He was. God of power and peace, as you provided for Joseph, you provide for us. In your creation, you provided lights to bring light and heat to the earth. So today, you bring light to shine upon the dark forces in the world which threaten the life you intend. These are the forces that cause war and oppression, abuse and hunger, emptiness and despair. We make this offering in trust that it may be used to bring some starlit hope in our day and bring dreams for a brighter tomorrow where the realm of the Prince of Peace reigns. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
tell you that um, Ed, really do, I really do, don't, I really don't okay. need He's going to scream, right? Um, Staffing at about 12.30, 12.45 at Western Church. We're going out to play golf. It's a beautiful day. You are more than welcome to join us. We'll be a, we will be a whining Greek. Yes, ladies and gentlemen will both be playing golf. This is not a man-only uh, situation. That'll get you home in time for the FedEx Cup or to watch the Bills play the Dolphins later in the afternoon. Anybody who's interested, please see the after service. Thank you very much and enjoy the day. Thank you, Ben. So a prayer for straight drives and straight putts. And a prayer for thanksgiving, gratitude, and praise. And another prayer for Pope Francis and his safety and his travels. And we give thanks and praise for the beautiful flowers that are in our chancel this morning. They celebrate Chip and Laura Bachman's dedication to God and to one another. Happy anniversary to the Bachmans. Well done. We also give thanks and praise for uh, successful surgery for Sam Huang, who sings in the choir, and for Jane bringing him home and feeding him bugoki. I asked her, would you like some meals from the church? And she said, oh, no, we're very well. We're, we're just great. And she is. She's a fabulous cook. So thank you. We're glad that Sam is doing better. We also give thanks and praise that George Cooper will be going through a double hernia surgery tomorrow, and we're thankful that when he gets home, he also will be tended so beautifully by Jenny. We're also praying for Carol Bell's family. While this was anticipated, it's still sad. Carol Bell's mother passed away yesterday morning, and Carol and her family are making anticipation plans for a memorial service sometime later in October, and we will keep you posted on that. We give thanks and praise for all those who worked on the Penny Pincher sale and for the organization and enthusiasm, and we give thanks and praise for mission done around the world and in our own backyard. Please join me in prayer, friends. God, our gracious host, whose ministering angels visit the afflicted, we join the throng who sing your praises. Even in our dreams, you share with us your wisdom. You provide us with mercy, and your grace gives us hope. We give you thanks for all those who surround us. They reveal your love as they offer their guidance and their help. They reach out to lift us from our depths of despair, and they're not hesitant when we ask for assistance. Their voices are soothing as they speak words that encourage us. As we journey in faith, we bear the burdens of our neighbors and so lessen their strain as you have eased ours. For our traveling companions, we give you mighty thanks. We also give thanks for those moments when we are made aware of your direct kindnesses. You temper your judgment with patience. You give us the cup to refresh our bodies. You give us bread daily to nurture our growth. Our baptism is a sign that we are heirs of the covenant. All our senses are made aware of your grace. And we give thanks for Christ Jesus, whose spirit abides with us constantly. Our days have new meaning since Christ intercedes for us. We have the privilege of doing so for others, as Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts when we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, be stars of hope today. The world needs it. And smile, too. The world needs that. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the comfort and blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.